Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, putting a smile on your face as you're walking through space, the original space cowboy and gangster of love, keeping an alligator as a pet, and who is this Paul Ramon? In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Well, hello and welcome to This is Final Tap, uh, this podcast that always goes to 11. I'm your producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe. I'm uh, handling the host duties tonight. It's about time. Yep. And now we're broadcasting again from the Vinegaroon Saloon, uh, the studio, if you will, of This Is Vinyl Tap. And I'm joined by our usual host, Doug Cooper. And you're gonna dig it, too. (laughs) And our co-host, Tony Slagle. And before we uh, dive into tonight's album and artist, I believe, Tony, you've got uh, an announcement or something you would like to share with our loyal listeners. Yeah, JM. Uh, Hi, everybody. This is Tony. Um, So when we started this podcast many a moon ago, we had a and we still have a tagline, which I think all three of us think is pretty brilliant, which was short talks about long players. And that was a great idea when the thought was we would do 15-minute podcasts. <laughs> we just released a Matthew Sweet episode that was over two hours long. So short talks about long players just doesn't seem to fit the bill anymore. Yeah. So we would like... Long it, player still works. Long player yeah, yeah. still works. <laughs> we would love it if... We're going to have a little contest, everybody. If somebody could come up with a tagline, and we like the tagline and we'll use it, we will switch out the one we have, and we will send the person who picked the winning tagline either a This Is Vinyl Tap trucker hat or a This Is Vinyl Tap t-shirt. You can choose one or the other, um, and we will send that off to you as the winner of the contest. We have a few, just to get your juices flowing, your creative juices flowing, we have a few uh, recommendations so, this is Vinyl Tap. How many times can you mention Brian Eno? That's one of them. <laughs> this is Vinyl Tap. We let Tony talk so his wife doesn't have to. <laughs> and then, this is Vinyl Tap. There are other other decades, Doug. So, any of those three uh, might work, but we think you guys can do better. So. And, and those that already have uh, This is Vinyl tap t-shirts think your shirt is going to be a collector's item because it's going to be the original 
it's going to have the original tagline on it. So I don't, uh, uh, does it have a tagline? On I it? think one of some of the t-shirts do. I don't know if a t-shirt. Yeah. That, that one time oh, it does. we made it. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> no, no, no. It does have the original. Yeah, tagline. It does have the original <laughs> tagline. Correct. Yes. You're correct. So, um, yeah, there'll be yeah, collectors be items. Extremely so, valuable. <laughs> <laughs> you'll be able to sell them for yeah. like pennies on the penny. <laughs> almost, almost as, it'll be almost half of what it paid to make them. <laughs> so, Sunday, Sunday. um, yeah. Anyway, you can Pick email you can, store, you yeah. can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com or you can go to our website, uh, which is tappingvinyl.com and uh, go into the uh, contact us page and put uh, your suggestion in there. We'll uh, we'll announce a winner uh, if we can get enough feel like. Oh, if we can get enough recommendations or whatever, we can announce a winner yeah. in the next month or so. That'd be good. Anyone emailing Randy Buckman will be disqualified. As <laughs> we will not receive it. We won't. But anyway, uh, we want to thank everybody for being uh, listeners, and we really would love some help on this. Um, uh, yeah. We're and getting- we, we hope we still have listeners after, after April Fool's. All right. So uh, as I mentioned earlier, we're broadcasting from the Vinegaroon Saloon in beautiful Austin, Texas. Uh, springtime in Austin is the best time in Austin, I, I think. Especially for toads. Yeah. <laughs> and toads. It's fornicating um, toad season, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and uh, speaking of Austin... Um, we are going That's a to good be, tagline. Yeah, this is Vital Tap fornicating toads. Where <laughs> <laughs> toads fornicate? <laughs> okay. Speaking of Austin, Austin is in Texas, and we are going to be uh, looking at an album tonight by someone who spent quite a bit of his life here in the Lone Star State. We're talking about Steve Miller's nineteen or the Steve Miller Band's nineteen sixty nine album, Brave New World. This is the band's third album. It's their first album without. Boz Skaggs, which we'll get to the history of the band in a little bit. Um, so, again, the album was released in 1969, and by the decade that it was released, I think longtime listeners may have figured out who made this pick. Um, if you don't, it's by our host, Doug Cooper. And, Doug, um, I think our listeners might be surprised that of all the albums you could have chosen by the Steve Miller Band, you chose this one. It's not Fly Like an Eagle or The Joker or Book of Dreams, uh, albums that many more of our listeners, I'm sure, are familiar with. So my question is, why did you choose this particular album by Steve Miller? Hello, this is Doug Cooper. Uh, If you know Doug Cooper, you know that he's enchanted by a particular period of time in music. (laughs) And this album is part of that particular period of time. Uh, Why didn't I pick the obvious big... All right. So there's a couple of reasons. Um, the two monsters in the room are Book of Dreams. Some fly like an eagle. Those, of course, were the first Steve Miller songs I heard. I can still remember walking from the house I grew up, I guess I was eighth grader or something, walking all the way to Eckerd Drugs because I knew they had that record. 
<laughs> uh, I, I was talking about the greatest hits, the one that ended up selling. Yeah. Uh, the blue did, one with the Pegasus on the front. Yeah. Did Eckerd Drugs sell records? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. I know that. That's how it came out. Yeah, except this story is sad. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I walked, and that was probably about two and a half miles. <laughs> but I had to have this record, and I finally had enough money to go buy it. And yeah. uh, <laughs> it was Sunday. And... Back in the day in Texas, they had blue laws, and you couldn't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> buy you couldn't buy certain things on Sunday. Grocery and, stores weren't even open. They can, oh, you couldn't you buy could, an album on yeah. Sunday. No, they had they had the they used to rope off areas of the store. Like if a place like a drugstore, it's essential, so you could buy necessities, but they couldn't sell you like. If they had a chest set or something, they couldn't sell you that. So, so here I am. I can see the record, but I can't buy it because it's Sunday, and I just walked two and a half miles. Finally, I got book or the uh, the album, the greatest hits, greatest Steve hits seventy four to seventy eight or whatever. And, and that's that that album just sold enormous thirteen million albums. Now, if you have that album, you almost have Book of Dreams and, and Fly, Fly Like an Eagle. Fly Like an Eagle. Yeah. So why not pick those? Number one, I'm not convinced too many people need help finding <laughs> those songs are still on the radio yeah. all of the time. Deservedly so. Yeah. Yeah. They're they're great albums. That yeah. I, I have them and I still listen to them. And I I told Tony the other day, Jet Airliner is one of the few FM overplayed numbers along with uh more than a feeling yeah. that I never get sick of. Yeah. Um so I love those albums, but uh, that's almost an entirely different band, and definitely a different sound. Definitely a different sound. Yeah, a much different sound. And uh, n- there's none of the psychedelic stuff left. Oh, there's a little, there's a, little a smidgen of it, but it's really smoothed yeah. out and polished. This album, I would say, I would never think, ah, oh, I got to hear that song and pull this album out. But I always feel like I got to hear that album. Mm-hmm. I got to get that that mood. Um, and I think that we can go ahead and announce to our listeners that this is our first of a special type of uh, podcast. This is our first hypocrisy podcast because as I listened to this, I noticed the enormous hypocrisy of me picking this album <laughs> with a lot of the things that we're going to come across. What, what we'll, are, we'll get into I, what, that. Which are what? Lyrics. Yeah, the, um, lyri- the lyrics leave something to be desired. But they don't. Politics. But you know what? <laughs> I'll, I'll say this about, about Steve Miller in general, but this album in particular, because I wasn't that familiar with it. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm like probably everybody else I was familiar with the 70s stuff. You've said this before when I've tried to trap you in the lyrics saying, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't really matter with this stuff. Well, that's. That's true, but this guy also tries to jump in and be meaningful and deep on politics. Uh, you know, he wrote a song about Kent State and even Fly Like an Eagle. I think a lot of people wrote songs about. Well, Kent I know, State. and I and I'm the first one to jump up and say, "Shut up!" I do. I do find. I will say, uh, it is funny how much you are the biggest fan of hippie music and you're the most unhippie person I've ever met. In my well, life. that was, I was going to bring that up too, because I love hippie stuff except for most of it. Um, 
Well, the politics definitely rub you. I love going to Eeyore's birthday and watching cool bands and thinking, wow, dude, I'm really relaxed. And it may be because I'm not very good at, uh, I'm pretty good at relaxing, but I'm not good at that whole throw it devil may care attitude. But there's all this, all this San Francisco hippie, groovy, uh, putting flowers in your hair deal. I don't want flowers in my hair, but I like the idea of people sitting around putting flowers. You know, it's I'm attracted to all of that. Um, I told JM, some of it is like hearing about days of, of lore. Like like when, uh, who is it in the uh, Iliad or the, yeah, in the Iliad? Homer? Oh, no, that's not Homer. I'm, I'm talking about the, the uh, Nestor, I think. The old man and all the they're sitting around the fire and he goes. They're talking. The men of the past were much. He's he's telling these Ajax and Achilles stories about. (laughs) Well, these guys used to be tough back in the day. So there's that's always there. And for me, it's this period of music. Well, rock and roll was really cool. Whereas. Book of Dreams and Fly Like an Eagle aren't exotic to me because they were on the radio when yeah. you were when you when were I young, started when you, listening. You heard that stuff new, yeah. I, I get that. I get that. I also think that the interesting thing about this particular time period is, um, even though it's what fifteen years from the really kind of the birth of rock and roll, '69. Uh, There's still a reverence kind of there. Well, but it's also. The rock and roll's still trying to figure itself out. They're well, still, and these albums, yeah, yeah. It's, it's this is groping in the dark. Which, and, which, yeah. which I think there's why I'm bringing that up is because there's a lot of this trying to still trying to figure out where he's going to go. You can hear stuff from the um, fly like an eagle. Well, hear, one particular you can hear the future. Yeah, <laughs> well, you can yeah. hear one particular riff, but also you can hear just the, the what he's doing in terms of his more pop sensibility. But I I get that uh, the other thing. I was thinking about this the other day. I was listening to uh, Grace Under Pressure, which is a Rush album that came out when I first got into them. And uh, how I felt about that album versus the stuff that I discovered that was before my time. And I feel differently about that stuff. So I get exactly what you're saying. There's an exotic nature to it that you just can't grab, really grab a hold of because you weren't there. Yeah, yeah, my my introduction to Steve Miller is very similar to Doug. I mean, I, I had, I got for Christmas, I think, uh, the eight track of the uh, I got for some reason I got a book of dreams and I got the uh, greatest hits. That's and mean. I know it was mean. <laughs> uh, and but I fell in, you know of course I fell in love with with uh, uh, the both albums, but the you know greatest hits. But um, but there I would watch these. Or, and I would read it when I was even back then. I would read up about stuff, and I would always hear about Steve Miller being like a hippie and but going back into the flower power days and all that. And I just, when I would listen to his music, and I could just never really see that. And I yeah, never really people talk about the psychedelic. Yeah, and you're going what? Well, that's that's one of the questions I want. One of the first questions I wanted to ask was, you know, was is this particular album? Would you classify it as psychedelic? No, not like. Um, Jefferson Airplane? No, well, not like that, but I'm also, I was going to say, not like uh, Children of the Future.
his first album, and probably not like he said. Not Sailor. The yeah, it's, that was all groovy and spaceship yeah. noises and all that. Kind There's of spaceship stuff. noises on this. There's album. spaceship noises. Yeah, on all, all of his records. Well, the, th- the thing though, <laughs> there about, are. Yeah. I would say less. Uh, it's funny that even that early, even the two albums before this don't strike me so much as psychedelic as the weird thing about him is how British they sound. And I know it's because of where they were recorded, but it's yeah. it's weird how much that had an influence on on the way those three albums sound to me because yeah. they they don't sound like they they don't sound like Hate Ashbury sixties music. They sound very. I mean, there's a little bit of elements in that, but they sound very British. But there are some kind of things that the Brits weren't doing. Like there's kind of some stomping blues and stuff that the, that those guys. We're doing that. I didn't really hear a lot in stuff like the Yardbirds or. Well, he didn't ever or, shake. Steve Miller never shook his blues affection and his blues roots. Yeah, and I, that comes out in this album. Um, this is also his most guitar album. This is the guitarist of his albums, and um, he started backing off guitar. Yeah, especially ag- abracadabra and some of that kind of stuff. Well, and and the thing that uh, I think uh, your most ca- your casual listener would say about some of that that mid seventies stuff is what's the the, the instru- instrument that's the most compelling in that stuff is the keyboards. Yeah. That's you hear those keyboards, you're like, oh, that's a Steve Miller song. The yeah. harmonies and the keyboards, yeah, and that mid 70s stuff. Which, and I think he still he was starting to play with those a lot, yeah, yeah. This, he, those two albums, or the Joker's the first one he produced himself, right? Yeah, and he started playing with all of that stuff, yeah. And we should say that what we're really talking about is pre Joker versus post Joker, yeah. Joker changed the sound on Joker's different, and then everything after Joker is, it's it turned into. Uh, that's when he decided he was going to dominate airwaves for well, half a decade at least. And I think it's really that song more than that album. I'm a picker, I'm a grinner, I'm a lover, and I'm a sinner. I play my music in the sun. I'm a Joker, I'm a smoker. Because that album still has some bluesiness to it. Oh, in a yeah. Way that, it's one of the bluesier ones. In, in the way that the other two do not. It's like yeah. that song was such a hit. He's like, okay. <laughs> you know, I know what I'm doing from now on. I'm well, wondering if Boss, how much of an influence Boss Gags had on that, on the, on the bluesy. I mean, even though the, the, he, he did go back to kind of the blues sound, but I think that, you know, Boss Gags was a pretty big blues guy. And he, he, he's made blues albums since he's left the Steve Miller band. Um, but he was more like a soul. Yeah. He was more like blue eyed soul the, kind uh, of stuff. You know, he, what was it? Uh, he was saying he, when he was in Chicago, he's Steve Miller said, he thinks he saw muddy waters over a hundred times. And, uh, used yeah. to play with those guys. And then of course he started with the, we'll get into that blues in Texas, but he's, he was deep, 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 with the blues and that's what he thought he was going to do. And I think he got out to San Francisco, uh, San Francisco, yeah. went to go see a blues artist and ended up in psychedelic wonderland. <laughs> 
Well, would we want to talk a little bit about uh, the history of Steve Miller? Uh, we mentioned briefly that he's from Texas, but we are well, we spent was, a lot of time in Texas. He moved he here when he was five. Five or yeah, yeah. We should start at the beginning because <laughs> the beginning part's cool. It is really cool. <laughs> it is really cool because that explains a little bit why he yeah might be into the blues. This this uh, when we talk about Steve Miller, y'all, all, all of y'all wondering why I didn't accomplish as much as he did, and it's because <laughs> I didn't have this head start he did. <laughs> so let's start. He was born in in Milwaukee. Um, his mother was a. Uh, was a singer, jazz singer, jazz and piano singer, player, and jazz singer and piano player. Yeah. And uh, her, his father, uh, was a pathologist who also was dabbled in being a recording engineer as well. He was an amateur recording engineer. He was he was a jazz enthusiast, and he bought a magnacorder right after the war. War, so that was a pretty high end tape recorder. And this, we're talking late forties. Wow. And I don't think there were very many of them around at that point, but he could afford one. Uh, his father, being the recording guy he is, he's he's going to frequenting jazz clubs, and he's making friends with all these musicians, and he's inviting them back to his house to record, to do recording stuff. He's bringing, like, Charles Mingus, people like that. Are coming oh, really? To his house. I didn't realize Mingus that. Mingus is in Dallas when he comes by, I believe. Oh. Uh, well, I think he did it in, I think he did it yeah, in he Milwaukee too. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so I won't be making fun of, uh, bass players. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he, he, not just his, his, his mom, but, uh, little Stevie grew up in a pretty musical family. His, his uncle, uh, was a jazz violinist and he gives him his first electric guitar, which is a Gibson arch chop. Mm-hmm. Uh, he tells a story about how his uncle had was visiting. He brought it over and he was playing with it. He was enamored with it. And he woke up early the next morning when his uncle was leaving because he was afraid his uncle was going to take the car or the guitar with him or that he was going to, or his brother was going to steal it from him. But then he went downstairs and saw that his uncle had left it for him. So about six months after he gets his first guitar, somebody pretty important in his <laughs> life comes to town. Yeah. And who is that, Doug? A guy named Les Paul. Who, who's Les Paul? <laughs> Well, <laughs> he, was, he had quite a bit to do with amplifying guitars, and he was, was a uh, virtuoso. Yep. Had a partner named Mary Wells. And, Mary Ford. Uh, Mary Ford. That's She's a, a different genre. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they, they, they had a six-week stint at a club in Milwaukee. And his dad and Steve Miller's dad being who he is, of course, muscles his way in there. Yeah. Get gets friendly with them, has them come over and starts recording Les Paul and Mary Ford at his house, and they become really good friends. So much so that they're not uh Paul and Mary aren't married yet. Kind of like the frogs. Yeah, but, <laughs> but when they do get married, their best man is uh, Steve Miller's father. And the matron of honor is Steve Miller's mother. Where did they honeymoon? 
Steve Miller's parents' <laughs> bedroom. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't honeymooned in Milwaukee, um, don't don't laugh till you try it. Yeah. Well, and then the other thing is, Les Paul is Steve Miller's godfather. Yeah, that's right. So that's right. this was a big big deal for him. And there's this this great story, and we'll post the, we'll post the audio on the website. But uh, S- Steve Miller had written a song, and his dad uh, wanted Les Paul to hear it. And so there's a recording of the song someplace out there. We'll try to find it, put it on the website. But uh, there's also audio of Les Paul talking to Steve Miller about the song and about how much he liked his voice. The funny thing about that story is that Steve Miller says that he was furious with his dad for bringing up the song. But Les Paul paid him a quarter, so it was his first paying gig <laughs> to hear the song. So, uh, so anyway... Um, yeah, they and he he would show he showed him his first real chords on the guitar. Yeah. He like he was his mentor. He had well, yeah, showed Paul him. His, uh, yeah. I I don't know if you saw the interview. He's talking about he showed him uh, one finger chords. Yeah, that he could. Uh, yeah, I guess he was just playing the bottom three strings, yeah. and um, he said that's all he needed to start writing songs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and one of the things was he watched Les Paul and his father do tricks on this recorder. Yeah. Like, um, record over voices. Right. Would create harmonies and uh, also yeah. speed up guitars to make them sound faster and slow down the guitar to make it sound like a bass. So, yeah. so this guy, this young kid, has the ability to watch his dad, who's a hi-fi enthusiast, have this piece of equipment that not many people had access to, watch him use it, and see all these really top-notch, like top-of-the-heap musicians yeah. come in and play for his dad while they're in Milwaukee. And then they move to Dallas. Yep. And what happens in Dallas? It starts all, <laughs> all over, over again. again yeah. <laughs> T-Bone Walker. Mingus was definitely there. Um so well, T Bone Walker, it, here's here's something kind of interesting. Steve Miller, and I, you know, this may be hindsight because he was a young kid when he moved in, but he says things felt immediately different to him. Dallas was segregated in a way that Milwaukee wasn't. Yeah. His dad was actually arrested for having what they called race parties because he would have all these black musicians come, same thing, come to his house and he'd record them and they play they play music live and stuff. Yeah. And he was arrested. I don't know how many times, maybe just once. But yeah, T-Bone Walker be- is a patient of his dad's and ends up becoming a really good friend with his dad as well. And he shows young Steve Miller all sorts of cool things on the guitar, how to play yeah. it behind your back, how to do the splits, how to flip it around <laughs> yeah, your neck. Yeah, he was kind of the, he was Jimi Hendrix before Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Cause you don't care a thing for me I've tried so hard to make you love me So now I'm tired as I can be How could you ever worry, baby With a heart that's made of stone How could you ever worry, baby, with a heart that's made of stone? Uh, And Texas blues was, that was big music in Texas at that period of time. Yeah, and the ice house. That's what they were. That. They were playing that on the radio, mm-hmm. and it wasn't. He had a constant parade of uh, blues guitars, Texas blues guitars. I, he said something that blew me away. What's that? You want to guess who his favorite guitarist is? Steve Miller. 
Steve Miller's favorite guitarist? Mm. Jimmy Vaughn. Oh, really? He said Jimmy Vaughn was his favorite guitarist. I didn't. I was really surprised. So anyway, he was was in love with the Texas blues. But but what else was kind of cool about being in Dallas is it was a it was pretty much a musical melting pot. They had country, mm-hmm. they had the Dallas Jamboree. Yeah. He they had uh, television shows that would have like Ernest Hub and people like that on. So he was getting all sorts of just this big soupy musical yeah. Yeah. Like Bob Wills. What was yeah. that Channel 11 based out of Fort Worth? It had a whole bunch of those guys that were on there. I can't remember the name of that station, but yeah, that's uh, that was a great. That was that's where I grew up in Fort Worth. That was yeah. a great TV station. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, I was in Fort Worth last weekend, and, <laughs> it's, and it's a fantastic place. It's, still it's a, I like that. Mighty nice. That's where my mom was born and raised. So what's next, Doug? Well, I went to I went by Billy Bob's. I hadn't been by there since <laughs> I saw Big Country. That thing was so small compared to how I remembered it. <laughs> yeah. To, I, I forgot you saw Big Country at Billy Bob's because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they were playing. Yeah, they had rock. They had rock bands come through there all the time. Yeah. Well, it was it was really down home good Bob uh, bagpipe sounding guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, something happens. Stephen goes to a, uh, a private school, Episcopal school, Episcopal school, St. Mark's, Mark's in a, Dallas. Okay. It, well, actually, I think it's non denominational. Non denominational. Same as Episcopal. But, yeah. I think it's Episcopal. I'm going to get tacky if we yeah. don't move on. Um, it was a school for boys. Um, and he formed his first band then called The Marksman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is this where he got his brother in, to join? Uh, he taught, he got a, his well, the, brother a bass and. The the marksman actually his first band was this unnamed duo he had with a guy who uh, um, that went to the school there with him before just because I, I wanted to talk about them briefly because it's kind of interesting they um, they were both influenced by Ricky Nelson and and James Burton at on the at the end of the Ozzy and Harriet shows and they got together every weekend and practiced in the Miller's pool house which I forget what they called it the barn I think is what they called it yeah. Um, but uh, Bob Hayden, who was the classmate he joined, who he had this band with, he said, that, he tells this pretty great story. They're, they take a bus to a downtown Sears, and they found a couple of hard-body Gibsons that they both liked. They plug them into a big Silvertone amp, and they start playing, and all of a sudden, this crowd... They're on the second floor. This crowd starts showing up. People from the first floor start coming up and watching these two <laughs> kids play these guitars. Wow. And the manager comes over, the music manager comes over, and they're like, oh, should we stop playing? The guy looks at the crowd and goes, heck no, keep playing. Drawing <laughs> people into the, into the store. Wow. So, um, yeah, then they dr- they added a drummer from St. Mark's named Baron Cass, and that's when they changed, they actually named Change themselves the, name, the Marksman okay. Combo. All right. And his, his brother was forced to play the bass. <laughs> 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 yeah. That char- that Mingus didn't last long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so his o- older brother Buddy uh, was the bass player. Buddy Miller. Buddy, <laughs> not the. That Buddy sounds Miller. like not the more Buddy. famous not the name. Buddy Miller. Yes, yeah. it does. Buddy Miller. Um, and he had a classmate at uh, at St. Mark's by the name of Bosca. Bosca.
what Boz Skaggs' uh, real name is. Um, William Royce. William Royce. He um he and a guy named uh the guy who I saw Roger Roger Galding and Boz Skaggs joined the Marksmen and they both were singers. One of them played the tambourine. I think Boz Skaggs played the tambourine. I don't yeah. know what Roger Galding did, but they were both vocalists. So that they then I'm guessing when the brother decided he had enough of bass, uh, Steve Miller showed Boz Skaggs how to play the bass, and he became the bassist for the Marksmen. So that's Boz Skaggs. Yeah, he had some big hits. Yeah, he had one of the best-selling albums in the history of album sales. So he's in he's in Dallas, and uh, there's a school called SMU in Dallas, and uh, uh, the the kids that go to school there have quite a bit of money, and uh, they join fraternities, and those fraternities have quite a bit of money, and they need a band to play. So S- Steve Miller was saying that there were not really any rock and roll bands yet because this was uh, before everybody saw Elvis on TV, and they're so he was playing a blues. He had a little blues combo. Now he's twelve years old, and he's calling all the frat houses and the synagogues and the uh, churches. Anyone that has a dance, he's calling up to get signed up for. Uh, and they're making about a hundred bucks. They're making seventy five bucks to play fifteen minute sets between dance records at local parties. Is what they Jeez. said. So That's he gets booked good. up for the school year. And <laughs> he said they did about five hundred gigs. My God! Over the history of the band, wow! I mean, if you started out not good, you'd be good after that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And he had to. Eat, he had to keep telling his mom. He goes, <laughs> he had a curfew, and he had to go, Mom, I've got a gig. <laughs> He's twelve years old. At, at some point prior to nineteen sixty, they backed Jimmy Reed. You're, oh, that's right. He was yeah. Jimmy Reed's band, uh, and I, I saw an interview with him saying. Sometimes I just get depressed and feel like, man, I didn't get any breaks. I don't, nothing ever goes my way. And he goes, oh, shut up. <laughs> it's, his, this whole guy's life is one break after another. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he gets kicked out for reasons that I'm not entirely able, he, cannot figure out. He says it's because he had long hair, he was in a rock band, and the school felt like he did not represent. He and Bob Hayden both get kicked out. They did not represent the St. Mark's. Ethic. <laughs> okay. So then uh, he's still playing in the band, but he's going to a different high school. He named like- after one of America's worst presidents, <laughs> Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson High School. And, and he graduated there from 1961. But there's somebody else from a famous There's a, lot of, a lot of people. Yep. Um, if you're from Austin or Dallas, you know Trammell Crow. Uh-huh. But oh, they yeah. uh, they built the Arboretum, and mm-hmm. um, all of the developers in Austin if, follow their roots. Uh, Live Oak, Goddessman, Endeavor, they all have roots in Trammell Crow. It's probably the biggest developer uh, commercial real estate outfit. And they're in tied Texas. to Woodrow Wilson. Trammell Crow went to Wilder, oh. Woodrow Wilson. I'm sorry. <laughs> Jim Maddox. Oh, really? Is that right? Huh. He no, went, that. He's, he's a Democrat. But he, uh, <laughs> he went to uh, Woodrow Wilson. And this other guy, Hank Hill's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> if some yes. of y'all are King of the Hills fans, you'll remember the episode where uh, uh, Dusty, Dusty Hill, Hill comes, Hill comes on. <laughs> <laughs> with a, a couple of yahoos that he's formed a band with. Called. And it's not the zombies. <laughs> I, I I don't know why I didn't know Dusty Hill was from Dallas. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a connection. Yeah. 
Everything's groovy. All right. Uh, get that shag carpet oh. between your toes. <laughs> All right. We have a game of connections. This is where we try to link our current uh, artist up with past artists. Artists. We try to keep the, it within the, the record usually, but... We can but we like, cheat a lot. We you, we cheat well, a lot. artists that we've talked about on the podcast. That's yeah. right. Previous. That's why Previous. it's a connection. Previous ones we've talked yes. about. I, I stole it from a PBS show. <laughs> a great PBS It show. was a it good was a show. great PBS show. I guess you can still watch it somehow. Jonathan J.M. Rowe, uh, I'm going to let you go first well, so I'm you don't just, get clobbered by Tony. All right. I'm going to just go with the, with the obvious. Um, Glenn Johns, He's we've talked about him before. Uh Specifically on the uh, Who's Next episode, uh, he worked with the with the Who quite a bit, um, and he probably produced my favorite Who album, Who's Next. Um, I've got a connection. Sure, Dave Mason. All Any, right. Anybody know that I have, one? I do not know the Dave Mason connection. Well, I will. They're tell playing you. together. Not that you don't know the Dave Mason connection, Doug. I don't think I do. So in 1969, there was a band called Merriweather that was a band a band out of Canada that relocated to California. Their second album, which was called Word of Mouth, which is a double album, and it was subtitled Two Records Super Jam, had songs co-written by Steve Miller and songs co-written by Dave Mason. They both play on the album. They both sing on the album. They're not on they're not on the same track, huh. but they are on the same this Merryweather album, which I don't know how it did or if it went anywhere because the three of us didn't know about it. And I didn't know about it until we started doing research. But I do have a song. I do have this a song that Steve Miller co-wrote and sang, if you'd like to hear it. Only here at This, this is, is Vinyl, Vinyl Tap, Tap, ladies and gentlemen. That is Merriweather, and that is Steve Miller singing a song called Just a Little Bit that he co-wrote, co-written with uh, Barry Goldberg, and we'll talk about him a little bit. Oh, yeah, they teamed up. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good song, too. That sounded like Steve Miller. It did sound like Steve Miller, where he would go eventually. I've got a weird one. All Um, right. Steve Miller goes out to Frisco, and he's heard that he can make 500 bucks a night there. And he goes out, and he has five bucks. That's all he has. And he spends it to go see Paul Butterfield play. Harmonica. And he walks in there, and there's this band playing. And they got a new lead singer. This is the first time this lady has started singing for Jefferson Airplane. (laughs) He walks into Grace Slick's debut show, which we talked about. That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah. That's that's when everything changed for them. It's just another one of these guys that just plops down right in the middle of everything. I got one more. Go ahead. Um, I hope I'm not stealing your thunder, Tony. Uh, Nicky Hopkins. You're not. I was going to say him, but you're not stealing my thunder. Uh, We've talked about him. He played on the Village Green Preservation Society. Uh, by the Kinks, 
or the kinks are the village green preservation society and speaking of who's next he played on who's next a couple yes. of songs he, on who's next he is one of those guys that when he is on a song the song is significantly better yeah i mean he played a lot with the rolling stones and you can the, the period of time where he played with the rolling stones i think is the best the rolling Sto- best period of time much <laughs> But uh, yeah, he's he's a phenomenal keyboardist. Um, he's played with just so many different people. And I guess I got one more. Okay. Olympic Studios is where they recorded part of this album. And we've talked about Olympic Studios when we talked about David Bowie. Um, album Wars. I, I, believe. Th- I think part of Odyssey and Oracle was Odyssey and Oracle in, was in there the yeah. as well. Part, so. A couple of songs. Yeah. And Dusty Hill is a connection with Odyssey and Oracle. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> they true. are the fake zombies. <laughs> the Texas zombies. Yeah. If you don't know the story of the Texas zombies, you owe it to yourself to uh, check that out up. that episode. I, I, a loose connection, if you will. But uh, when, when the Steve Miller band was blues band was a going concern in San Francisco. I want to say, uh, I think legend has it that four days after he moved to San Francisco, he started that band started up and they were playing at, uh, Avalon Ball. That's right. So he was on again, loose, loose, loose connection. He was on lots of bills with the grateful Dead. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's, uh, we're, we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves <laughs> because, uh, Steve Miller graduates high school eventually. And he goes back to uh, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, where he enrolls in the University of Wisconsin. I thought Madison. he went to Madison. He did. He did. Okay. Sorry. And Wisconsin, Madison, um, where he formed a band, um, the Ardells. Mm-hmm. Skaggs, Boss Skaggs, went up to Milwaukee the next year and joined the band as well. Mm-hmm. And they were playing... Uh, Texas Shuffle Blues, which nobody up there had ever heard, yeah. or very few people heard, so they were a they were a big hit. Yeah, and they also in, had another guy who became a pretty big deal for uh, the Steve Miller Band, or a, a co-founder of the Steve Miller Band, and played a significant part uh, as a songwriter as well for uh, Steve Miller Band was Ben Sidron. Uh, and he, he has a big part on this record. Yep, he does. Was and he in the Ardells? He was in the Ardells. I did not know that. Yeah. And uh, he became the band's keyboardist. In uh, they, they took a little brief detour, uh, uh, and uh, Steve Miller did, and he joins a band called the Night Trains <laughs> uh, during one, the summer of '62. Night and the, Trains. The only reason I bring, yeah, it's K N I G H T R A S. The reason I bring them up is because <laughs> their slogan is <laughs> "We're the Night Trains. We never come late, and we always pull out on time." <sighs> Jeez. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad the kids were here to hear that. So Steve Miller, he's going to college. And he does a, a goes to the University of uh, Denmark in Copenhagen for a while. And then he comes well, he, back. He goes there to study comparative literature, literature yes. and discovers that he doesn't have a band over there. Yeah. And finds out that he is absolutely miserable yeah. when he's not. I mean. The guy's been playing with the band since 12 years yeah. old, and this is his first time to take a break, and he hates it. And he's six hours short of his uh, of graduating, and he drops out. Hits the Chicago. Well, yeah. and... Speaking uh, of Chi-Town. And speaking of that part of the world, Boss Skaggs ends up heading out over there. He goes to London, 
and uh and oh, he, that's right. jo- he joins uh i think he joins the um the reserve starts a band in the reserve ends up moving moving to london he's uh, farms a band there called the wigs which is part of kind of the up and coming r&b scene at the time this is around 63 64 and they weren't very successful so they break up so he's traveling around europe busking and he ends up in stockholm sweden where and that's where he recorded his first solo album. Oh, that's right. First yeah. Was in Stockholm. So he was he made an album, a solo album before Steve Miller. Yeah. yeah. In, in and it was what uh, Boz, I think, in yeah, 1965. Think so then and then I just bring that up because that'll play a, a role in a little while. But then Steve, as Doug said, Steve Miller moves to Chicago. Yeah. And becomes he meets uh, somebody there, Barry Goldberg. Yeah. yeah Barry Goldberg was. Played with Muddy Waters, Otis Rush, Howlin' Wolf. He was the keyboardist for the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. Jeez, yeah. And and he played with them when they backed Dylan up at the Newport Folk Festival. Mm-hmm. The, the Barry Goldberg does. And Barry Goldberg and Steve Miller form a band called the Goldberg Miller Blues Band. And they, they sign with Epic. They do. I've got, a, I've got a, a song of theirs if you want to hear it. Do let's. All right. This is the mother song. Well, I guess I lost my touch. So it's got a blues backbeat, but that guitar is doing something completely different. Yeah, than the blues. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, it's stinging, but not quite. Yeah. Well, they and they actually end up on the, that band ends up on the Hullabaloo, um, yeah. playing that particular song we just heard. Uh, yeah. We'll post a video of that on the website. It's kind of yeah. fun, kind of fun to look at. During, with this band, he goes to New York. They have a residency at some New York club. He's was. Thinking about going back to Chicago, but he was disappointed with the with the scene there, and he moves back to Texas. Guess where? He wants to go to UT. He wants to go to UT, and ladies and gentlemen. That's why we're experts. <laughs> Austin, <laughs> Texas. Texas. Austin, Texas. Finish finish college. Yeah, and uh, how, how ironic that he's going <laughs> to leave Austin to go to uh, San Francisco to play <laughs> psychedelic. Yeah, he gets a, he gets a little distracted and yeah. ends up. Heading west, yeah, in a Volkswagen bus that his dad bought him. So he heads out to uh, San Francisco, and that's where, yeah, he, he runs walks into, into the the Fillmore, yeah, and uh, <laughs> sees some man. shows. And the next thing you know, he's he's playing there and yeah. a, a lot, a lot. And he calls, uh, and that's what, what the reason I mentioned Boss Skaggs being in Sweden is he sends him a postcard and convinces him to come back. And and join join the Steve Miller band there, yeah. and he gets Steve, the back, Steve Miller uh, blues band, Chuck Berry there. there. Yep, they yes. black, yeah, at the Fillmore. Yep, and they start to become more and more popular. But he's he's somewhat disillusioned by the scene because he's not into drugs, and he doesn't see he doesn't feel like anybody's very professional. I mean, this is a guy who's been playing both these guys, <laughs> both him and knowing jazz, playing, great jazz musicians, playing, yeah. playing yeah. instruments. Yeah. That was little. cool when I was twelve. Yeah. <laughs> so so he gets he gets pretty disillusioned with it. Um, he does he does get signed to a record deal while he's there. People, but record companies are battling over him, and the deal he signs is a 
remarkable, remarkable deal. Unheard of. After about 10 months of, band, of, of record labels battling over him, he signs a deal with Capitol in 67, and they drop the blues from the Steve Miller Blues Band, and they just become the Steve Miller Band. But his contract sort of sets the standard for people who, are, who really want to like, make money in the music industry. It's a, fi- a $50,000 advance, a $10,000 bonus for one year, four one-year options, which would have totaled $750,000 if taken, complete artistic control over the product. And this is the big one. 32 cents an album when everybody else was making 12 cents an album. Wow. So what he says is that the record companies were told to go to California and sign people. What they were expecting were a bunch of dummies. And they got him, who was an educated <laughs> guy, who had business sense we talked about, was yeah. booking his band when he was 12 years old. And yeah. he, he was able to to get a great I wonder deal. if he called his godfather. Yeah. Oh, maybe. He yeah. might have. Yeah. But uh, they also, the Steve Miller Band, ends up playing a pretty important show in 1967. Oh, you're talking about uh, the Monterey, uh, Monterey, yeah, Monterey. Monterey Pop Festival. That's I was right. in my brain going up and down the coast trying to find <laughs> uh-huh. and, and it's and, and should we talk about who's in the band at this time? Yeah. Yeah. So it's Steve Miller, James Cook, Lonnie Turner, Tim Davis, and Boz Skaggs. Yeah. Like I said, he's disillusioned with it. At the same time, Fresh Cream is released, and Steve Miller falls in love with Eric Clapton. Like, <laughs> just in, absolutely obsessed with him. Yeah. And as a result, they go to England to record their first album. Children of the Future. <laughs> <laughs> and it's groovy. It is groovy. Yeah, I and mean, for a guy who was so blues-based, I mean, the the... The albums, the first two albums, including and this one as well, but they all just sound like they they do not come they sound like they come out of San Francisco. Totally groovy. It's another fun one. Yep. All right. And that same year, which wasn't unheard of back then, nope. they released their second album, Sailor, Sailor in October 68. And this is where they have probably one of their first big, big, big Well, hits. Children of the Future, I don't think, broke the top 100. Sailor hits 24, number 24. Yeah, and there, and there's a big. song on there that everybody's heard. <laughs> songs come to mind when is that, I... Is that Boss Skaggs playing the bass on that? I don't know, but it sure gets uh, some fire, that's, doesn't That's it? a great bass I think that's, line. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Lonnie Turner? Oh, the, is it? The yeah. picture on the album, he's got a guitar. I think okay. he's gone to guitar by now. Man, guitar, that's such a great bass line there's, in that song. Yeah. There's a lot of great songs. Uh, if you don't have Sailor, that's a great, it's, it's such a, a good, good album. album. Um, there's another song that's going to be important later on this one. <laughs> what, what, yeah. what song is that, Doug? 
Is it a gangster? Gangster love. love. <laughs> It's, it's where uh, uh, Stevie Guitar Miller uh, channels uh, Johnny <laughs> Guitar, Guitar Watson. Watson yeah. <laughs> Man, I'm a sucker for that kind of talking uh, it's, over it's the so, blues. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think to his credit, he realizes he's a silly white boy talking this <laughs> way. No, and right. he cracks himself up before the end of the yeah. song. Uh, but he does steal the title. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, especially on these early Steve Miller band albums, everybody gets to write. Yeah. You know? Um, and you know, it Skaggs has that Overdrive song on here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That and it sounds like a Rolling Stone. Di- Dime, Dime a Dance Romance is also a Boss Skaggs song. Yeah. Yeah. So Tony asked why I didn't do that one. And um, it was the guitar mostly, but I was. I was, I could have gone either way. I was torn in half with both of these. Well, mo- most people talk about um, talk about Brave New World being more consistent than his first two albums. I don't know if I agree with that. I think Sailor's a pretty consistent album. Yeah, I think Sailor um, has a lot of songs that sound like they should have been hits. Yeah, like no, Quicksilver Girl. And, I agree with that. Yeah. That's on it. The Mary, yeah, that's Dear a Mary. very, very pretty song. The second side comes apart yeah. a little bit. Yeah, for me, Sailor. Yeah, I, I, that's what I think. I think that the songs there are better songs on Sailor. Than there are on Brave New World, but I think it's not quite as consistent as the album we're talking about. It's Hunky Dory versus Ziggy Stardust. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I do love, I I love the way that Sailor starts off with with those weird synthesizer sounds at the beginning. I I like all the, I'm a sucker for all that stupid space noises that they were making. Yeah. I mean, everybody saw 2001, A Space Odyssey. Yeah. Everybody grabbed, has a, a, grabbed a Moog and started plugging yeah. that. Yeah. So, oh, man, listen to this. Yeah. Well, you and know, you hear it now. It's so yeah. it's so cheesy but, compared to what people can do now. But Steve Miller was, I mean, that he's he plays those synthesizers usually. Oh, yeah. He, he's, he talks about how he spent hours and hours and hours yeah. coming up with those noises. And, he, and he what does was that. the one on, um, the funny one is on... Fly like, Fly an, like eagle. an eagle. It's the where space intro. He's trying to figure out how to end it, and the tape makes a noise, yeah. and he goes, "That's it." <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't 
remember some sort of noise that the tape yeah. makes. And but he, just... but he does that. He does a, his. One of the things I like about Steve Miller and it is his use to, use of synthesizers. They do seem. It's one of those things where I don't where the synthesizers don't overpower the song. Now, there's people that might say they do, but I don't think they do. Well, they don't overpower the song, but they add personality that would be missing if they weren't on I think them. you're right, I mean, yeah. Th- th- those Steve Miller keyboards are... It's it's also a... It's like a trademark. It is. Yeah, like it even, is. Uh, <laughs> even uh, a song that has nothing to do with space or groovy like a jet airliner jet airliner it's got to start there, out with yeah it. there's a there's a founds of wayne song on their second album called red dragon tattoo and in the middle of it is a keyboard solo and if you hear it you'll go oh it's steve miller that's exactly what they're trying to do <laughs> well and you know uh, he opened for a band that does a lot of uh, groovy noises yeah pink floyd all right did he, he really yeah he what, spent what, some what, time uh, opening for them, and I'm sure <laughs> when he was got that? a taste. Was of that, that when he was in the UK? Yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I forgot to check when it was, but I know he's talking about going from playing smaller places to playing big places. Huh. Once, uh, I think it was after Dark Side of the Moon. So okay, was, so he was probably yeah. back in the states at that point. I would think. Big. I need. I need to look into that. But I, when I heard that, I thought that. Um, yeah. Okay. That makes a little bit of sense. That you. Of course, he was yeah. doing it before he did that. Yeah. But, yeah. I'm, but, I'm sure that didn't cool his jets on it. No. <laughs> Sailor is a very good, very good album. That's the one that. So I went through a Steve Miller band phase about ten years ago, and I just said, "Well, I, I always hear about this groovy Steve Miller stuff," and that, that was the first album I listened to was Sailor. That's the one that I had read about and said it was pretty good. And I had the "Living in the USA" song. It, it is funny. Uh, I, I just thought about this. Um, the the one band that to me feels very similar, not not in the sound, but just in the in the switch they made from the sixties and seventies. The Who is the same way. The, there's a point in time where the Who is making music that's so far removed from the stuff they were making before. Yeah, that people are surprised maybe when they hear or if they don't know early Who. Yeah, and I imagine people who hear. And I'm not saying that Steve Miller Band and the Who sound alike. I'm just saying that no, they're I, both they're similar. Talk, I think you'd say I, the same thing about the Kinks too. You know. Oh, the Kinks as well is another yeah. one of those bands. Well, the, sort of, Rolling Stone. The thing that reminds me of uh, another band who had a similar experience was Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Oh yeah. Where if you took um, that second Fleetwood Mac album mm-hmm. and Rumors, those two <laughs> together had an impact a lot like. Fly Like an Eagle. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah. Of course, Steve Miller had the earlier launch with uh, The Joker. Right. But you have those two monster albums mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. don't sound very much like what came before. Nope, there's right. hints of what came before. But uh, they there's a lot of people, I think, that believe that Steve Miller's career started with The Joker. And a lot of people think Fleetwood Mac's yep. career started when Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks joined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right, so that brings us up to this album. As we mentioned earlier, it was uh, recorded and co-produced by Glenn Johns. Tim Davis is the drummer, and he does some of the composing on this. Uh, We've talked about Nicky Hopkins playing on it. Uh, Steve Miller is the guitarist and plays synthesizer on it. Um, Ben Sidron. Synth. We say synth. Synth, okay. He uh, plays the keyboards and some of the percussion on this as well. And he helps write. And he helps write. He became a uh, he co-wrote a bunch of these songs with Steve Miller, and probably was his longest 
partner, I would say, of, of anybody that was in this band. Well, and, and Tim Davis actually sings lead on two tracks, too. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. Boss Skaggs, I think, was the other guy who sang... Like Steve Miller yeah. and Boz Skaggs, and when Boz, so, so we I, we kind of skipped over the fact. I mean, we yeah. mentioned earlier, but Boz Skaggs leaves after Sailor. After Sailor, yeah, and uh, and and mainly, I think he's encouraged. Well, he doesn't like the direction supposedly the band is going, but he's also encouraged by Jan Werner, who's founded Rolling Stone, yeah. to go f- do his own solo thing. So he records his second album, which is really the one everybody knows as kind of starting his career. He goes mm-hmm. to Muscle Shoals. Yeah. He's got uh, uh, Dwayne Allman, I think, is plays guitar on that album, and of course the Muscle Shoals rhythm sections yeah. all over it too. Hard so. to beat that. Yeah. yeah, that's kind of like cheating. <laughs> so he that, and that's where he goes down. Is more blue eyed soul kind of yeah. kind of music. And so this is like the first first album without him. Oh, Jim Pearl Peterman leaves. Yeah, as well. Jim, that's, that's right. what you said. You said yeah. that earlier because mm-hmm. he was a keyboardist. So yeah. so he's kind of starting a little bit from from scratch and Lonnie Turner is back who um, I think he went on to have his own kind of songwriting career but he writes one of the songs on this album or co-writes one of the songs on this album he's the bass player do we want to get into the album itself first of all it's one of your better album covers (laughs) (laughs) it it looks so much like there's so many album covers this looks like from this time period I'll just say this um and, and this is not disparaging anyway. This is an album of its time. This, this is an this album. album wears its time on its sleeve. And, and in particular, the year, that kind of weird transitional year between the 60s and the 70s, it wears yeah. it all. It it's does. all over this album. It does. Uh, and, uh, yeah. To be honest with you, that's one of the reasons I picked it. Because, <laughs> as I said earlier, I'm so intrigued by all this. And there's one other person that is on this album. He makes an appearance on one song, but we'll get to that song. <laughs> That's that, a that, very interesting, maybe the most compelling story most compelling of the whole story song. Of the whole, of the whole the album. Songs, yep. um, but we'll get to that when we get to that song. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into the first song. Title the, track. Title track, Brave New World. So we start with a super Doug Cooper hypocrite. Uh, this this song reminds me of the uh, the Great Leap Forward in Communist China, where everything from the past is burned and ridiculed, and the know-it-all young people are talking about a brave new world. Anyway, I love this song. I, love I try not to think about that. Not an uh, ounce of blues in this. Not song. an ounce. It starts off with that. Explosion of sound and uh, those, that windy stuff in it, and, and then all those ahs come in. Terrible backing vocals that work they really work well, <laughs> so very well. It's yeah. it's a that is a Steve Miller deal that yeah. he does all the time. And if you heard it, you'd go, no, no, we got to do something about that. But yeah, I dig it. Well, in ge- in general, his vocals, uh, I, I love them, but they're not. They're just sort of. 
They're a little thin. Yeah, they are they're, thin, and that's why he sings so. Or he, later, he just and he kind of does it a lot on this album too. He double tracks and yeah, yeah, sings yeah. an octave higher. And, yeah. and he uh, that another thing is he's one of the widest sounding people <laughs> ever, and that's that's one of the things that I think makes Gangster Love so funny. Yeah. Is he sounds so white, and <laughs> and whenever he's doing the blues, he sounds so white. And yeah. uh, he also sounds extremely American. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no mistaking his accent. Yeah. But the songs, to no, me, I'm talking sounds, his voice. Right. Yeah. But the song sounds very, has that 60s Brit, late yeah. 60s It's British got that sheen jaunty to it. piano, which is actually oh, not played by uh, Nicky Hopkins. It's very bouncy. Yeah. It's good. This yeah. is a good song. It's got bouncy, I'll, bouncy. I'll, this song sets the mood for the album. And I've got, I've got to tell you that this is so. Um, this is very descriptive, but not very helpful for anyone else. This is the album when I have to go to the grocery store. I put this album on, so <laughs> I, I'm just relaxed and I'm saying, "Hey, look at that person! They're shopping too." Yeah. Wow, we're in this brotherhood of shop, and I get so groovy and relaxed. <laughs> I almost can't shop without the or yeah. the other first five albums work the same way. Well, it's got that windy synth in it the whole time, and it, it goes from ear to ear, and the guitar solo goes from ear. I mean, this is a, of its time, headphones album. Yeah. And uh, it, 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 you definitely pick up more stuff when you're wearing, listening so to it on headphones. Headphones in the supermarket. Well, gee, uh, gee yeah. I, wonder, I wonder if that had anything to do with who produced it, somebody who was engineering all this. Because <laughs> he's, uh, he's working... He's working on Abbey Road at the same time he's yeah. producing this. Glenn yeah. Johns is. He's yeah. engineering Abbey Road. I didn't think about that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's so, so funny. funny. Yeah. All right. That brings us to the next song, Celebration Song. Not the Cool in the Gang song. Not the Cool in yeah. <laughs> mistake those vocals for anybody else no. the background singing the la, vocals, la, la, la. nothing else sounds like I, that i'll tell you something else about this record that you start to hear this album i would listen to if it were only the drums and the bass mm-hmm. it's enough for me well, the drums it, are amazing it, it, on this it, that's something that he seems to because i feel the same way about his later albums the rhythm section the steve Miller's rhythm they section, change but they stay they're, fantastic they're fantastic yeah, yeah they're always yeah. fantastic I'm it's a priority for him yeah, and the drummer. Yeah, the drummer in this album is amazing. Um, it's so much energy, and it starts. So many of these songs start off yes. with the, with drums. Um, they, this one starts off with that kick drum, like almost reminds me of like Martha and the Vandellas. Uh, you know, uh, I, I bet you know one of the things is a lot of these songs are jams that yeah. turn into you know the biggest one is Fly Like an Eagle, which was yeah. a jam that gradually turned into a. That started on this album. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you get we'll to get see to the that. future. Yeah, um, <laughs> literally. And if you listen really closely, there's a great piano riff. Again, the keyboard player is just remarkable yep. on this. Uh, it's it's fun, fun, fun. It is very good song, and it is a celebration. It do, it does not let you down on that. That's for sure. All right, that brings us to song number three. Can't you hear Daddy's heartbeat? 
fun it's, song. It, it is a great song, and I it just starts off with the say. drummer, which I guess the drummer is the one singing this. Tim Davis, move yeah. over, Rover. Let <laughs> I was Stevie about to say over. this is the this is the most. This is a Hendrix. Hendrix it's a tall Hendrix ripoff. <laughs> well, sounds like fire. What's that? Uh-huh. What's yeah. that? Gu- I guess it's a guitar. There's like this growly. Isn't that's that a cool. That's a fuzz bass. Oh, is it's yeah. a fuzz bass? So it's a, it's a, okay. it's a, it's the best bass of best use of a fuzz bass I've ever heard yeah. too. That's very cool. Yeah. I love, love. I can see all those girls in those go-go boots <laughs> doing that. So deal where you put one hand above with their your frilly head. skirts. And, this is supposedly sung by Tim Davis. That's not Steve Miller singing lead on this song. Supposedly. Yeah. So. Well, he's listed. Yeah. But he, and he's the one who wrote it. Yeah. So. That's a well, good one. Yeah. A I really love good it. Fun, fun, fun. All that energy and all yeah. that stuff I said about the bass and the drum, is, you don't have any trouble. Yeah. And it's one of the earlier uses of a, of a fuzz bass as well. Well, that's uh, a cool sound, definitely. One of my favorites on the album. All right. Now we move to song number four, Got Love, Cause You Need It. Now that guitar's another ripoff. Yeah, <laughs> where does that come from? Well, it's, I mean, that, is that Santana? I'm hearing. I, I think that's right. I, I think Santana is who I was I, hearing. I, yeah, I don't know. I, this this is an odd song for me. Wait, one, it's not my. It's way too bluesy for me in in a lot of ways. I dig the bluesy part. No, I, I know you do, and I'm just saying for me. But the the guitar solo, while I love it, feels weird with this song. It's like they tacked it on. To what was going on underneath it, it just doesn't. This was the it one. It feels like a one-off. It doesn't feel like he really got into it. There were just the, the jam was happening, and he just did the best he could. Yeah, uh, yeah I, I think. Well, this is awfully. Uh, this is sounds like a uh, song that someone way blacker than Steve uh, Miller would be doing. <laughs> it was, and, um, I mean, and the, the lyrics are a little rough. Uh, they don't translate to our period of time very well <laughs> at all. And there, and this was co-written by um, the piano player, yeah, by, right the, and, by the yeah. keyboardist. Yeah. Anyway, I I like it a lot. It's very energetic. It's just it's you know it's of that ilk that just I'm like ah yeah. I don't I wouldn't turn it off, but it's not something that grabs me. Yeah, it doesn't grab me except it. it I it, do I, love the guitar solo. Again, it's not, I've, my notes, I have another Jimi Hendrix ripoff. It, it's a, I could see that, too. It, it reminds like, me of South Park. I uh, <laughs> The show? I like it. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I enjoy watching it, and I feel bad about it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Well, here comes a palate cleanser. Yeah. Okay. Last song on side one, number five. Cow, cow, calculator. I think on the original album it was just, just called cow cow. cow, cow, but with the K, ladies and gentlemen, with the K. Here we go. And calculator spelled with a Q.
This is a good song. I'm not sure this exactly what that, it's about, but they they end a concert with this a lot and they get the whole crowd with their uh, cigarette lighters up in the air singing. This is a fantastic song. I think I don't have no idea what it's about. Uh, it's not, it's like, Nikki Hopkins is amazing on this yeah, song. I'm going to say something that you want to talk about hypocritical, um, only because it's not. 15 minutes long but the outro on this song which oh, is just the piano outro. and 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 i guess oh, the outro, yeah something, the, and is the, great and the guitar parts on it's it. i've great. got that in my notes too um, yeah it's fantastic this sounds to me like you can hear you can hear a little bit of the future steve miller in this yeah, song as well yeah. definitely it's well, not, here's know, my question what what kind of calculators were around <laughs> in 1969 because i remember calculators in the 70s were st- yeah, not I. I don't know Those why like, the yeah. word calculator pops into someone's head. <laughs> they can only go eight digits. Have you read this? Just think about this thing. That I'm sort of changing the subject. And I apologize, but I just remembered reading this. This is supposedly. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but it's been accused of being a rewrite to a certain extent of you can't always get what you want. I can hear hear that. that, Yeah. In fact, I was trying to think at one point I was going, this kind of sounds like the Rolling Stones to me. And Glenn Johns, I believe, was involved in in that one too. And Nicky Hopkins probably as well. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, just a, just an interesting thing. They're similar. Al Cooper's actually. When you try to sing the the lyrics to one to the other, it doesn't, it doesn't, the the, the rhythm's not right. Same. I, I like this song significantly this is a, better than this. That. Is this is the most Donovan song on the album. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a very, very. Um, the song doesn't change at all. It's no, weird but it's, that it's so it's, much that dynamic. You, you yeah, three chords over but and over builds. again. It builds. It builds. That's the it thing. It doesn't change, but it gets but it to a. Got, yeah, it's maybe the longest song on the album, and I'm sitting there going, "Why didn't this get old?" Yeah, and then if you see it live, it'll go on for 20 minutes. So. Yeah. Doug, you said you were going to explain the whole war thing with this. This yeah. is supposedly an anti-war song. I can't get that from the lyrics. Okay, here's really here's yet. my theory. Okay, they're sitting there playing this chord progression over and over again, throwing words out and stuff. And then when they're through, they decide that oh yeah, it means something. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I mean, think about all his songs. But like, think his. Fly like an eagle. <laughs> Feed the babies and yeah. put shoes on that guy. Oh, I want to fly like an eagle. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's his silly attempt to try the to social deep. deal. Yeah. And before he knows it, oh, yeah, I want to fly away like a bird. <laughs> and he does that all the time. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I forgot how it was somewhere around the two big albums. So he goes, you know, I just want to have fun. And I want people to have fun, and I don't want to get real serious. And he finally plugged into that, and I just yeah, thank you, thank Steve. You. Yeah. I, I, one of the things um, about why this guy is why I like this guy so much, and this may sound silly, I don't know, but to me, he's the Dean Martin of <laughs> oh, that's rock funny. and roll. <laughs> Dean Martin of rock and roll. You think about. Yeah. When the Sinatra, Sinatra, yeah, that, that's a great example. Yeah. That's a stupid, stupid line. <laughs> the moon hits your eye like, like a, a big, big pizza. pizza that is so bad. You just want to say, "Oh, don't." No. <laughs> but it's Dean Martin. He doesn't care because yeah. he's had a drink and a cigarette, yeah. and he's going, "Hey, let's just have a good time." And you think about 
uh, Sinatra's over there going, I did it my way. And he's serious <laughs> and, and he's uh, in well, charge I of the was, world and everything. And Dean Martin's going, I if he tried to do my way, it would yeah. be, yeah, we did it my way. <laughs> and to me, Steve Martin plays that role in Rock Steve and Miller. Yeah. I mean, still, Steve, <laughs> Steve Martin, Martin. He's Martin kind plays of funny too. Yeah. Um, but uh, just this relaxed guy. And um, yeah. And the, the times he tries to do social commentary, even emphasize that part of him more because he can't even finish the song. Yeah. Like living in the USA, he's he gets into a little, and then the next thing you know, he's saying, oh, I want a cheeseburger. And he, he can't, I mean, a minute yeah. ago, he's trying to, the white man, the, the red man, and he's doing all that. And then mm-hmm. half a verse later, he wants a cheeseburger. He just yeah. can't do the... yeah. He can't keep angst. It. He can't do yeah. the angst. Well, and you watch these interviews with him in his seventies, and he's still the same. Yeah, he did show some angst in the there in the rock and roll, 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 roll hall. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was uh, yeah. Sounds like they deserved it. Though. Yeah. Anyway, All right, cow cows. I, I wonder if he just speaking to that. I wonder if he's got it still has a chip on his shoulder about Jan Warner and the whole boss gag thing too. Possibly, yeah. With the rock and roll thing. Anyway. Could be. All right. All right. So we're going to flip the album flip, flip over. over. We're going to be on side two, the first song on side two, Seasons. Beautiful song. This is another one written by with Ben Sweden. Um It's very, very pretty. I like it quite a bit. The guitar on it is just so beautiful. That descending line that it's got, and just the drums are so understated in it. Um, but I, I like it quite a bit. It's Maybe a good break song. too. Yeah, it is. It's odd that it Tony doesn't starts. like it. Yeah. I, I just find it a little monotonous. I think I would have liked it better if it was someplace different on the album. And maybe the end, the last song or something. I, I think you. I don't. I do think it's ill placed. It it just it just seems. You know how you were saying? Uh, was it the last song you're talking about? One of the songs you're talking about. Maybe it was Cow Cow. You were saying how it's one of the longest songs of the album, but you don't get tired of it. This this one me, doesn't have that. This feels like one of the longest songs on the album. <laughs> I think me. part of the problem is there's not um, modulation. There's not. There's, there should have been some empty. Yeah, yeah, um, maybe so. I, I I do just listening to it when we were playing it just then though. I do appreciate, uh, you know, I like Steve Miller's voice is great on a song like this. It well, works yeah, it's, really it's, well, and, and it's one of the few where he doesn't harmonize, right, or double track. Um, it's just his voice, and, and and I don't dislike the song. I just think um, I, I get what you're saying about being a nice break, but it just doesn't. I don't know. It seems ill placed to me. Like it would have been better fading the album out or something. It's a know. weird one. It um, yeah yeah, especially in between the two it. songs it's, that it's. I, how, I mean, I know it's the first song. How the Space Cowboy time, didn't get its spot doesn't. Yeah, make that's sense about, they could have flipped them. Um, and yeah. when I talk about a space, I forget that on a record. It's number one on the side. It doesn't really need space. Your your valid point, Space Cowboy should have started this side off. Yeah. And it's weird that it didn't. It is weird. And uh, that season, I I would like to hear it 
go a little more acoustic. Have you ever? Has he? Huh. Have you ever seen him do it live? Has he play it live? I've never. I I've don't never know. seen anything. Well, like the it. bass on it is really, really pretty. I mean, it's active, but I, I no, I, I, it's a pretty song. I, yeah. But I think part of what Tony's talking about comes from that tinny. I, yeah. don't, I, I would like to hear acoustic guitar. Do it was it. hard getting uh-huh. the low end and on albums during this time. I yeah. think. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. That's that's enough for that one. <laughs> all right. Now we have one I thought was a hit. Yep. Because I heard it all the time, but I guess it wasn't too big of a hit. I went to get to the top 100 for uh, like an hour. Yep. Yeah. We're talking about a uh, second song on Space side two, Cowboy. Space Cowboy. Isn't that what they call him? Yep. Some that's people. what he calls himself. Lady Madonna. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, sound like Lady Madonna. That's a bass line that yeah. makes you think of uh, Lady, Madonna. Lady Madonna. Yeah, it's a. I like this song quite a bit. I love this song. And it's a. It's sounds the most Steve Miller. It of is. Like, it is again a glimpse of the future. Yeah. Well, it, it also is. sounds like uh, living in the USA. That same kind. Well, of and he, he references. He references he, what he both references songs. Himself, himself all, all the time. time. <laughs> and in this song, it's that living in the USA and gangster and love. Gangster he re- love. He references yeah. both of them. Yeah. yeah. And uh, then next, <laughs> next he's going to add he's, this he's space and cowboy. <laughs> what is it? It's the Eden. What is the what his uh, back to Eden? Whatever that album is, uh, where he calls himself Maurice and yeah. He says, Maurice, I'm going to tell you about I thought the, that was the just Joker. of love. Well, yeah. he's referencing all of them yeah. in The Joker. Right. Yeah. The Joker is where he sums <laughs> up his nicknames. Yeah. The ones he came up with for himself and the ones he stole from Johnny Guitar Watson. <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of an anti-establishment song, but also a not taking the anti-establishment It's, it's exactly seriously what I was either. talking about earlier. Yeah. Where it's like, yeah, we got to, here's this fat cat coming in yeah. my, and... Oh, but I'm also a space cowboy on my yeah. way over here, and I forgot what yeah. I was mad about. <laughs> I, this it, is the longest song on the album, by the way. It doesn't feel like it. It no, doesn't. It doesn't. No. Uh, and again, as much as I love this song, it, it also, it's a weird thing to me. It feels, the solo also feels just like it was kind of tacked on at the end. It's the a whole great album, solo. But, the whole song has is, is got weird, that, that it's got those percolating scents going yeah, on. Like all weird. of a sudden they're just popping in. Yeah. And then they it has that they weird electrical jug. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, the, remember those, and those, <laughs> they do, yeah. and those, that, those high harmonies parts that they do at that yeah. one point, that is, that's almost disturbing. You know, I'm glad it wasn't the whole song. wasn't like that, but man, it was, it's a, well, I love the guitar. On, oh, I do too. I, I love the guitar on the whole album. But you know what I mean yeah. though? It's like, it's feels, it doesn't feel as organic it. to this song as it does on some of the other songs. It's you know he usually doesn't do what he does on this album right. with guitars. Right, maybe yeah. that's usually it. the guitars are laying down the it's, the groove. Yeah, mm-hmm. at the, especially at the beginning. Um, I don't know I might have to listen to. It. I guess I have to go grocery shopping tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Could you pick up a few things for me? Though? Yeah, so but now it, I want to listen to Sailor. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very very yeah. And so now let's go to song number three. On side two, LT's Midnight Dream. Solid. Solid. I'm dreaming about a bulldog that'll 
This just sounds like an old Southern juke joint stomp. I really like it. Swampy. Um, it gives him a chance to show off on the acoustic guitar. Yeah, he's a very good slide. acoustic guitar player. Is that what that is, an acoustic slide? Yeah. That's making that sound? Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is my favorite song on the album. Is it really? It is. <laughs> <laughs> but but not so much because it like I like the music of it. I do, but it's so interesting. This song, it, it you have every time it comes on, I have to pay attention. Well, the to harmonies, it. it's got some cool yeah, harmonies. It's got a lot of it. weird things going oh, on. It's what it. uh, country blues, I guess, or something. Yeah. What would you call yeah. it? It reminds me of what I've accused Van Morrison of doing when Van Morrison comes up with something that seems just completely original and i realized oh he was trying to imitate yeah. ray charles and this is the closest he could get and he came up with he this completely, completely new deal yeah. you, you can't get his irish out of it um yeah. it's, i love it and i think steve miller's trying to sound like some of the blues guys he's heard oh, yeah and he's way off and it's cool because yeah. it's new and it's written by the bass player and sung by Tim Davis. Is that right? Yeah, but it. Yeah, I really like this song a lot. It's 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 fun. It's um and it's uh, it's unlike anything else on the album. And yeah. it just gra- like every, like does, I said, yeah. every time it it plays, it grabs me, and I have to pay it. He does that. He does stuff like that. He'll like on um, Fly Like an Eagle. He's got that uh, dance, dance, dance song. Uh-huh. You know all of these weird synthesizers and fly like it. And then he's got my grandma. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. yeah, he does. He had a little stage there. The uh, I forgot about Tim Davis. Um, he joined uh, uh, Lindley with. Uh, oh, is that right? When he was playing for Terry Reed, and he he was on Crown of Creation, that Jefferson Starship, uh, Paul Kempner kind of deal. Okay, mm. so there's a connection. <laughs> <laughs> I don't hear him. Yeah. <laughs> How did you get in Crown of Creation? But I'm also everybody's I'm, on that album. That yeah. was a Stoner Fest or yeah. something. I'm a sucker for those four on the floor acoustic mm-hmm. stuff too. I'm just I, I love that juke joint. I just couldn't figure out what that because I'm not a musician. I couldn't yeah. figure out what that sound was. I was like, is that yeah, a dobro? Tu- is no, that a, what is that? It's a, an open tuning uh, acoustic guitar, and he's and he's playing yeah. it with a slide. That's yeah. what's that tinny. Yeah, it's yeah. cool, man. Yeah, I it's love very, it. He got he has. Maybe the f- most famous slide look in the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You know how he did that? Uh-uh. He had a slide and the wah wah paddle. So Is that right? Shoves it down so it's amplified at the same time it's going up the neck. Okay, wow. So he gets that uh, cat call whistle. Huh. What, what do they call that whistle? Yeah, cat call whistle. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which I funny. love. Yeah. That's that song. That's yeah. another one that I never get tired of. Yeah, that's great. All right, the final song on the album, "My Dark Hour." This is a very interesting song. That lick. Hmm. So not only does he reference himself in the lyrics of his song, he also references himself in the (laughs) (laughs) instruments of his song. Uh, Is that a reference or a recycling? A recycling, probably more a recycling. We're talking about, for those of you who were zoning out during that, the uh, guitar lick from Fly Like an Eagle. Fly Like an Eagle, yeah. 
It works really. I mean, it works great in both of them, but it works a little different, isn't it? I can't tell a difference. Anyway, this one's rough. This this song's rough. It reminds me of um, (laughs) like the end on uh, (laughs) Abbey Road, the Abbey Road jam, and um, and to me, it's kind of helter skelter. Yes, it is. and uh, well, there's a the, one of the Ramones is on it. <laughs> yeah, Paul. No, I think the reason why you're you're getting that vibe is so. Um, this has got the what the most interesting story I think of any song on the album, right? So yeah. it's recorded a late night session in May of 1969 after an argument between Paul McCartney, John Lennon, George Harrison, and Ringo Starr. They're arguing over whether or not John Klein should be their manager, uh-huh. their business manager. Obviously, McCartney wanted it to be uh, His Linda's father. father. Yeah. And the rest of the, I think Lennon was, was really Klein. pushing was for Adam? Alan Klein. Alan Klein. What did I say? He said John Klein. It's Alan, Alan Klein. Klein. Yeah. And I think uh, the rest of the guys were siding with Lennon on this. Yeah. Anyway, they leave. They all storm out of the studio. Paul's left in the studio. And Steve Miller happened to be there, too. And the two of them start jamming to the song. And McCartney plays the drums, the bass, guitar, and he sings backing vocals. When you know he's on it, you can hear him in, in the background. You can yeah. hear McCartney. Yeah. But he's pissed. And I think that shows it in does, the way he's playing. It does, you know? 100%. Um, and it, it would be, I'm not sure. I don't think Steve Miller could have pulled that feeling out. No. No. And, and I, I don't think he has a pissed. I don't think he has so, it. Yeah. And, and <laughs> the reason for the award show. <laughs> and the reason you brought up the Ramon is because he's credit Paul McCartney's credited as Paul Ramon, which yeah. is a pseudonym he used when they were when the Silver Beatles were touring Scotland, he would use that as a pseudonym. Yeah. So. For, for, and uh, didn't isn't that where the Ramones got their It name? is. That's where yeah. Dee D- D- said they should call themselves the Ramones after that. But uh they added an E to it. But yeah, I mean it's it's an interesting song. It's definitely a jam. I mean yeah. there's no two two ways about it. Well it starts that. off with McCartney just Banging away on those drums, yeah, and uh, you know he's a pretty good drummer. Um, he's a pretty good everything. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I but... think he's talented. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's got. That guy's got I, it. He's I, going places. I, yeah. I saw something with him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got that slinky guitar line going all through it, and that that, that I I like it, it a yeah, lot. It's not. Really? A, I'm not always in the mood for it. Right. But. Yeah. It's, it's very it's, fun. It's, it's a great fun, way to but it's also album. very dirty. You it know, is. It's got a dirtiness to it that the, the other songs on the album like, don't like have. That guy Skelter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's it's uh, it's a great it's way fun. to end the album. And um, <laughs> it's funny that it's such an angry song, and it's so fun. It's <laughs> everything on this album is fun, whether it's trying to be deep or groovy yeah. or sensitive. It's just fun. Well, yeah. I think that goes to your Dean Martin thing. I think yep. that's just yeah. What, it, it cor- it's coursing through Steve Miller. Ain't it a right? kick in the head? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that wraps up uh, our look at uh, Steve Miller's third album. I keep wanting to call it Children of the Future, but it's not it. Yep. Brave, New yeah. Brave New World. Brave New World. this Huxley, right? Not as Huxley. Yeah, and then all this Huxley album. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I. You know, we do, I don't know if we need to go very much into the history of what happens with the band afterwards. They uh, release more albums, and they come up with a. They do a live album. They do a, a, their first greatest hits. Well, he gets to. Uh, <laughs> he's told by the record company when he's working on number nine. That, number nine. <laughs> number nine. Turn me on, Deadman. Um, he gets there, and they tell him, you know, this is it. 
Capitol's ready to pull the plug. Show him the door, and a little ditty works itself <laughs> out. And yeah. one of the one of the suits in the meeting says, "This is a this is a hit." And Steve Miller goes, "I don't think so." <laughs> and that song was the Joker. Is that a question? Is that him harmonizing with himself? If it's I think not, it I'm is. shocked. Uh, yeah, I'd be very surprised if it's not. Well, it, that doesn't always work as well as it does when he does it. it well, he's he's not really harmonizing. He's singing two different yeah. parts, um, and it works great. There's something about his guitar playing mm-hmm. that is so seductive. I have I do not understand what it is, and it's frequently when he's strumming. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a great example, uh, but the beginning of uh, um, that long intro to Jet Airliner, uh, not the the one that's oh, yeah. on the radio, but yeah. that big yeah. long right. Jet Simple. Airliner yeah. strumming. Yeah, I don't know what it is about that, but I could listen to just that for an hour mm-hmm. and not get tired of it. Yeah, it is so good. Yeah, um, his his guitar playing is just intriguing, mm-hmm. and it's not because he's doing some amazing uh, lead. It's yeah, just accompanying himself. Yeah. Is he thought of in the same breath as guitar greats when people think of guitar greats? I don't think. I so. don't think so. I think he's um, he's got such, overlooked. He, I think he is too. He's got such a a distinctive tone too you know he, he's he, he doesn't do very much effects at all no he doesn't it's I, always I very clean distortion and, on anything yeah i mean he his, on this out al- the album we we're talking about tonight brave new world he th- he is kind of trying to find a sound i think and he, he does you, you see the glimpses of it coming up but it, eventually i mean his i mean especially after the joker and into you know those uh fly like an eagle uh, Book of Dreams. His guitar is so, he's got such a unique sound, heavily compressed, um, very clean. Um, there wasn't anybody really like him. And you can just tell. And it, it, even like in his later songs with like an abracadabra, just the, the way that that driving guitar is that going song reach that. out and grab you. <laughs> that, that's one of the songs that launched me into my dark ages. <laughs> me too. I could, I could see that. Let the fire get higher. Yeah. So disappointed. My um, my wife hates that song, and uh, and I think she holds it against him in a way that's not really fair. Well, I think that there's something that happened to me when that song came out, where I just and I went through a, kind of what Doug's talking about. I went through kind of a dark period as well, where just classic rock to me. I just I just didn't want to hear any more classic rock. You know, I was tired of like the zoo. I was tired of, uh, of you know even stuff like. Clapton. I was just like, man, I'm just tired of hearing these dinosaurs. But 
about, like I said, about 10 years ago, I started getting back into Steve Miller and just discovering just his, how much he was playing. I didn't realize how much he was actually doing the playing. How many albums does he have? A lot. A lot. I have no yeah, idea. Yeah. Um, he's definitely slowed down. But Well, he's I, he probably got to about 15 and then... Then all these compilations and yeah. box sets, box and sets all that kind of stuff happened. And yeah. who can blame them? Man, if I put out a Greatest Hits and it sold $13 million, I would do another <laughs> one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, we're not about that here. No. And that's one of the reasons I picked this album, because this album, to me, I, I, I started with this. I want to hear this album. I never want to hear a song on this album. I want to hear the whole thing. That's yeah. well, and that kind of fits to what, what yeah, we, we, we talked about, you know. That's probably why it won over Sailor because uh, it has that. To me, it's more cohesive, and a lot of people agree with you. Yeah, I the, agree with you. What you know, Sailor has a lot of input from other people. We've got a lot of other people writing songs. Well, I think yeah. I think a lot uh, of other people singing songs. I think, Jam, I think it was Jam that said this. Maybe it was you, Doug. I apologize. Just to hit the hit the nail on the head with Sailor versus this album. I think Sailor's got stronger song, like individual songs. Yeah, but overall. As an album, I think you're right. Yeah. This is a strong Dear album. Mary, songs of our ancestors living in the USA, I just think are just three They're of great. his best songs ever. And uh, those are all on the Quick Silver Girl is oh, irresistible. Yeah. Irresistible. Mm-hmm. Irresistible. This come to the part of the show where we give our, our ratings. Remember, we give two ratings. We give our cold-hearted critics rating, uh, scale to one to five, and we give our personal uh what does it do to our heart rating on a uh, a uh, scale of one to five? Yes. Nothing what are our actual feelings about feelings. this? And so, Tony, I'm going to go to you first. Okay. And I'll handle Doug last since he picked Such this up. Such a mess. So I'm going to go critically first. I think after the conversation we just had, I'm not going to go into details about uh, about what makes this album critically a good album. Um, it's But, yeah, just... I'll give it a four two out of five um, for the critic rating um, and my personal rating. I'm going to go a little bit lower, but as we've said from time to time, I think that will change. Um, I've listened to this album a lot over the last couple of weeks, but um, I think as I listen to it more, I mean, just even listening to it as we pulled the songs up tonight, I sort of changed my mind about what I was going to say. So I'm going to give it a three nine uh, for my personal rating, but that's, really going to likely change over the next year or so. Ask me again in a year. All right. Good to know. All right. I'll go next. Uh, I'm going to go with my critic rating first. Uh, same with uh, with Tony. I'm going to give this uh, as a critic a four or five. And I think that it um, just was as very much of its time, but I think it's, it's a great example of its time. It, it seemed to, um, the, the songs are, are strong. It's very cohesive. Um, it's innovative and, um, it's the playing is, is, is great. So I'm going to give it a four or five as a critic, as a listener or my, my feelings, my, uh, from the heart rating, I'm going to give it a, uh, I think I'm going to give it a four or eight and I'm, kind of surprised that I'm giving it that high, but I really, before we had to listen, you know, before Doug picked this as our album uh, for this podcast, I was much more into Sailor 
And I really didn't pay attention to Brave New World that much. But uh, after I listened to Sailor, then I listened to Brave New World, and I kept coming back to Brave New World. Now, it made me also want to go back, and I appreciated the songs from Sailor more. But I think overall, uh, Brave New World is a stronger album. Uh, strong. It's got, uh, like I said, more cohesive. I like the, the playing a little bit more on it. Um, so I'm going to give it, like I said, a 4-8. All right. Doug, what say you? I think I've said everything. I'm going to give it a 4.8 for my feelings, and I'm going to give it a 4.6 as a critical uh, take on it. And um, I'm also going to confess that I have irrational feelings for this album and all five of his first albums uh, that I will not attempt to defend. But... uh, you tell me what's better for the grocery store, and I'll give it a shot. <laughs> you know what I forgot to mention is that there is a 1989 Iron Maiden album also called Brave New World. That is true. I, every time I looked at <laughs> You know what? I don't have it. that one. No, you don't have that one. That was actually after I'd sort of fallen, uh, stopped listening to them. That was uh, yeah. a couple albums after I stopped listening to them, but I just thought that was funny. All right. Well, we've come to the part of the show where uh, we like to appeal to our younger audience, the under under 35, (laughs) under 35 set. And even uh, even if I recommend a new album, it's not going to appeal to the younger (laughs) audience necessarily. Well, they listen to crap. (laughs) But Tony's got his uh, ear to the ground. He's he's a little bit more. (laughs) It's funny. How do I I hear music with my ear pressed to the ground like that? So, Tony, do you have a recommendation for us this I, evening? I do, and it's a new one. Uh, I was lucky enough to get this album early um, because I went on a boat that this band played on. But uh, it's the Waco Brothers' new album called "The Men That God Forgot," and uh, I think the great it, title. I mm-hmm. think it officially was released at the end of March, so yep. it's only been out for maybe officially about a week. It's the first album they put out in five or six years, and it is fantastic. I'm always happy with a band that I like as much as I like this band, and they're still able to knock it out of the park when they put out new Mm -hmm. music. This album is one of the best things they've ever done, I think. And it's got horns on it, which they've never had before. Wow. Um, They do, uh, they have a fantastic cover of. the undertone song "Teenage Kicks." You guys know that song, "Teenage Kicks." Can't say that I do. I'll play it for you. Hold on. There we go. That'll fix that problem. So that's been a live staple of theirs for a while mm-hmm. and it's great um there's a there's a song that i would say is like 60s birds garage rock called this town which i freaking love I have it from the horse's 
this, the horse's mouth that that song actually is um, loosely based on a television song. Oh, so, I could see that. Yeah. And then um, I'm going to play one more song. So these guys have been known forever as uh, as uh, cash meets clash because <laughs> uh, they're, they're made up of uh, the lead. One of the lead singers is John Langford. He was in the Mekons. Um, there's also uh, the other guy who sings lead. Uh, there's three singers. Uh, Dino Slabowski, he's who I've recommended one of his albums as well. He was in a punk band called uh, Wreck. And then uh, the person who sang, actually sang both the songs I just uh, played is Tracy Deer. He's a mandolin player. But I'm going to play a, a Dino song real quick called George Walked with Jesus. It's about uh, George Jones. So anyway, what's uh, the big thicket? <laughs> <laughs> a big old forest in East Texas. In East Texas, one you don't you don't f with the big thicket. Yeah, no, you. Um, uh, that's a great album, and you know they, they've. I saw them at South by Southwest, and I guess that's the second or third time I've seen them. But you know what surprises me is they aren't the youngest band yeah. in the world. There, there's some gray hair and some bald. You know, there's, they there's got some a lot of energy. energy. They got a lot of energy yeah. for a guy from guys that you know. I'd, I'd be going to bed, but they. Uh, that just you yeah. know after watching them play. and I didn't play a Langford song, so my apologies to him. But it's it's a fantastic album. It's one of the best things they've ever done. When are we gonna go see them? Uh, next time they come through town, I guess. Okay, yeah. they're fantastic. So, yeah. yeah, very very. I so enjoyed the, them very much. The men that God forgot. It'll be on our recommendation page. Highly recommended. All right, Tony. Thank you very much for that recommendation. A fine fine recommendation. And thank you for letting us invade your ears for another episode of This Is Vinyl Tap, the podcast that always goes to 11. If you know anyone who likes the long player format, please let them know about this podcast, which is available on most podcasting platforms. And while you're up there, uh, leave us a review or give us some stars. We're always looking for feedback. And you can reach us via Twitter at Tapping Vinyl, or you can visit our uh, increasingly popular Facebook group page, if you're so inclined. And if you're old school like me, you can email us at tappingvinyl at gmail.com. But for the ultimate This Is Vinyl Tap experience, please visit our website, tappingvinyl.com. You'll find all sorts of uh, good stuff up there. Links to past episodes with pictures and videos about things that we've mentioned in those episodes. And of course, you can also contact us there. Next week, we'll be looking at a power pop masterpiece by the band Jellyfish, their album, Spilt Milk. Our host, Doug Cooper, our co-host, Tony Slagle, and me, your humble producer, Jonathan J.M. Rowe, good night from the Gangsters of Love.
It's pretty yeah, good. That's your wife on the back of my horse. I'm a gangster. <laughs> gangster of love. 